facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. A tremendous Thursday to you. I'm so happy that you're with me today for The Kale Clark Show because I think this is going to be a phenomenal episode. I can't wait to talk to you about all of this stuff that I'm going to share. 888-914-9149 is a toll-free line to call to talk to me for free. I'm going to be sharing later the incredibly poignant story of what happened to the lead Japanese bomber pilot on Pearl Harbor Day. And of course, 82 years ago today, one of the darkest days in the history of the United States, of course, the bombing of Pearl Harbor brought the United States into World War II. The pilot who led that raid later repented and converted to Jesus Christ. It's an unbelievably poignant story. You will not want to miss this story. That's coming up in just a few minutes. Plus, it's also the feast day of St. Ambrose. And we know very well that he was the instructor, he was the bishop, he was the teacher of St. Augustine. I don't think there's been a, a mind in the in the church, certainly in the western part of the church, that was more important than St. Augustine. Maybe that, Maybe going all the way back to St. Paul. And so he had an incredible impact on the church. But we're not going to talk about that today. We're going to actually talk about something else with respect to the life of Ambrose. Because he's got an amazing story, and I guarantee you, you will not hear this anywhere else today. But you will hear it today on the Kale Clark Show. 888-914-914. 9149 is the number to call. Of course, you can also find me on the X app at Kale Clark is my handle, C-A-L-E Clark with an E. And you can email the program. Uh, the address is kale at relevantradio.com, C-A-L-E at relevantradio.com. But I start with this question. Do all Catholics go to heaven? Do all Catholics go to heaven? It's There's another, I don't know if it's a related question, but um, do dogs go to heaven? Well, the Bible says no. In the book of Revelation, it says outside of the whole, outside are the dogs. No, I'm only kidding. I'm a dog owner. I love dogs. I hope that is the case. But much more important question, do all Catholics go to heaven? Well, Jesus kind of gives us the answer today in the gospel. And of course, there are sort of optional readings for the feast day of St. Ambrose. But if you're kind of going with the normal readings from the first week of Advent from uh, the liturgy, it would be Matthew chapter 7. And this is, of course, the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says to his disciples, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Everyone who listens to these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and buffeted the house, but it did not collapse. It had been set solidly on rock. And everyone who listens to these words of mine but does not act on them will be like a fool who built his house on sand. The rains fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and buffeted the house, and it collapsed and was completely ruined. So this is a very famous, of course, passage in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's interesting because in the winter time, this is a really a, a very real situation that would happen in the winter months in the Holy Land. Of course, it's the rainy season, and the the valleys that are there, the sort of valleys that were there, could sometimes be overrun by flash floods. And we've seen massive environmental damage even in our own day, natural disasters, floods, 
of all types uh, in the United States that have washed away people's homes and property and caused uh, left really great devastation in their wake. So this is an image that would have been very arresting in, in the minds of Jesus' listeners. But who is he really talking to? We'll get to, we'll get to the house in, in just a second, but in the beginning, when Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. He's really talking to people who say that they believe in him. These are not pagans necessarily. These are not indifferent people. These are not irreligious people. These are people who are calling Jesus Lord. And there's this whole idea of Lord, Lord, by the way, you can, you can see stuff like this in the Old Testament. For example, in the book of Genesis, and we did, we did a great, I, I had a tremendous amount of fun with this, the Genesis series on the Faith Explained program. It's still in the archives on the relevant radio website on the Faith Explained page. Abraham, Abraham, of course, that God speaking to him, the angel, uh, the angel of the Lord staying his hand, don't kill your son. It's a test, and you pass the test. Jacob, Jacob, Moses, Moses, Moshe, Moshe, Samuel, Samuel, and First Samuel chapter 3, verse 10. And even, even Jesus does this. He, he sort of repeats things when he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He's lamenting the fate of Jerusalem. Martha, Martha, when are you going to get through your head? <laughs> Saul, Saul. He said this to, to, to Paul as well, uh, who was Saul at the time. When are you going to stop fighting against me? in my church and realize that it's the truth. So who is Jesus really talking to here? He's talking to people who ostensibly believe in him. And is it possible for Catholics to lose their salvation? Yes, tragically it is. And the catechism talks about this. It's it's a very chilling section in the catechism where it actually says that there are some who will be in hell who will still bear the indelible mark of baptism. Because when, when we are baptized, it's, it's a once for all sacrament. And it's almost like God signs his name on your soul with indelible ink. If you've ever met a a famous celebrity, a a famous person like an athlete or something like that, uh, producer Jim, big fan of the old St. Louis Rams, he would have loved to get an autographed jersey from Kurt Warner, and he would have had Kurt sign that in indelible ink for sure. Because you want to save that, you don't want it to be washed away. And when we are baptized, God kind of signs our soul, and it's never washed away, even if we turn away from his will. Even if we do exactly what Jesus says, don't do this. Don't do this. He says, hey, only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven is going to make it. So what, what is he really saying to us here? Salvation is not a pop quiz. Salvation is not... Um, Sort of a trivia question. Do you know the right answer? Do you know that Jesus is the Lord? Yeah. Well, guess what? So do the demons. And in the letter of James, it says exactly that. So you think Jesus is Lord? Great. Well, the demons know that as well. When Jesus cast out demons in the gospel, they said, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus said, shut up and get out. Why? Well, you don't want demons as your PR squad, number one. But they know who he is, but they're not obedient to him. That is the difference. I know who you are is not going to get you into heaven. However, doing the will of God, that's a different story. So we have to actually, with love, love is an action verb. We've got to love God, love people with our deeds. We've got to put the teaching, that we, we've got to know the teaching in order to do it. Don't get me wrong. But what we do is so crucial. And 
you know, false prophets really are proliferating in the church today, and they always have been. And by the way, this when he says this, this this kind of goes back to what he what he taught elsewhere in the in the uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, because the Sermon on the Mount, of course, is kind of the this is the mission statement of Jesus. This is the this is the the plan, the kingdom plan of Jesus laid out for us. And earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, of course, there is the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. And of course, great line in that prayer, your kingdom come, your will be what? Be done. Not just thought about, not just known. I knew what it was. It's did you do it? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Of course, in heaven God's will is always done. But on earth not so much. Not so much because we have a stubborn thing called free will. We also have something called concupiscence. We've been talking about that on the Faith Explained show. Uh, St. Paul's letter to the Romans. Paul even dealt with that. He said, I, I, I just keep getting dragged back down into the old sinful ways. I got to keep going to confession. That's right. That's okay. Jesus instituted confession for that very purpose. And so there are lots of people who, who think that they're in, but they're going to get a rude awakening on the last day. And, and of course, in verse 22 of Matthew 7, the false prophets will say, hey, did, did, we not do pro- did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do many miracles in your name? Well, that's, that's not enough. You, you, Jesus knows the heart. He knows what you really believe. He knows what you really think. And it's interesting because in the early centuries of the church, people would use the name of Jesus to do mighty miracles, and they weren't necessarily online with the church either. That's the power of the name of Jesus. Uh, don't forget that uh, some of Jesus' own disciples complained uh, during his earthly ministry. If you look at Mark chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, they say, Teacher, we saw someone else casting out demons in your name, but they're not part of our group. So what, what should we do with these guys? Listen, you know, don't worry about it. Just just stick with me. What about in uh, the Acts of the Apostles? This is a bizarre story. In Acts chapter 19, the seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva. You ever heard of this? The, the seven sons of Sceva? This is a, look this up. This is, this is pretty bizarre. They were doing exorcisms. They were using the name of Jesus to exorcise demons. And they were having uh, a, lot of, a lot of success here. And they actually, they didn't really know Jesus personally, but what they would say is, I adjure you by the Jesus whom St. Paul proclaims. Well, they didn't call him St. Paul, but I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. You can see this in Acts chapter 19, the demons will leave, but it didn't work. At one point, uh, this one evil spirit uh, was possessing somebody, they're trying to exercise it. And he says to them this, Jesus I know, and Paul I know. But who are you? Who the heck are you? In other words, and then he, he proceeds to beat the living, you know what, out of them. And they run out of the house naked and bleeding. It's a very bizarre, very disturbing incident in Acts chapter 19. So just knowing the name of Jesus, just even using his name to do powerful deeds, there is power in the name of Jesus. That's not enough either. Right? And we, we know that there's power in the name of Jesus. Uh, Peter, of course, who knew Jesus very well, uh, and he was, of course, a saint because he allowed Christ to transform him. He tried to do the will of God. He wasn't always successful, but he repented when he wasn't. And, of course, Peter said to a man who was lame from birth, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he did. And he did. 
And but 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 like I said, even even in the early centuries, later on, uh, the rabbis talked about one guy uh, named Jacob who was a member of the church, and he was healing people in the name of Jesus. And the rabbis were like, "We don't understand how this is happening because he's casting out demons." In the name of Jesus Ben Pantera, and I just don't get. I don't understand why. What's going on here? Why? Why do they call him Jesus Ben Pantera? Because there was a slander against the Blessed Mother that was very, unfortunately, was very popular in the early centuries. They people knew that there was something different about Jesus' birth. They they knew that there was something that was not in the usual way, and of course, we know that it was the conception of Jesus in the womb of the Virgin. That's what happens at the Annunciation. He doesn't have a human father. St. Joseph, a real father, but a foster father. And, and so, who is Jesus' real father? And there's some insinuations when you read the Gospel that you know, Jesus' opponents kind of knew something. There were rumors flying around about him. And in John's Gospel, for example, they say to him, we were not conceived in sin, like you were. Ooh. So, there, there is a talk among the rabbis that Jesus' real father was a Roman soldier named Ben Pantera, which means the son of the panther. I mean, th- this is just blasphemous. It's just evil. I only mention that because you might come across this uh, when you're doing research on Jesus. What is this all about? Uh, it's, it's an absolute blasphemy. It's not true. But, but the, the point of it is that people knew that the name of Jesus was powerful and that, that miracles could be done in his name, even by false prophets. But Jesus is not fooled. He's not impressed. That don't impress him much. You know, Shania Twain would, would concur with that. He'll tell them, he'll tell them on that day of judgment, I never knew you. I never knew you. You may have used my name, but I never knew you. So does he know you? Does he know me? Do we know him? Or are we in this relationship? And so th- this is why it's so important to act on the teaching of Jesus. If he, he says elsewhere, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. It's simple. If you really know me, if you really love me, you'll obey my commandments. That's how you tell. That's how you know. Are you obedient to his teaching? That's why he said um, at the end, he talks about the, um, the parable of the two houses, the builders. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rains fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. You know, if Jesus was to visit your home this Advent, I don't think he'd spend too much time looking at the tree or the ornaments or how nice your light show is outside or what your garden looks like or how good your lawn is and whether you have a snowblower, he wouldn't care. He wouldn't care. He would go straight down to the basement and he'd be checking out the foundations. He'd be checking out the footings of the house. Is it solid? Could it withstand a flash flood? Could it withstand? Because at the moment of our death, it's going to be like a flash flood. You don't know when it's going to happen. It's going to come upon you suddenly and it could wash everything away. He, he doesn't care about the window dressing. He cares about the foundations underneath. And by the way, Again, his teaching was not like that unknown in the ancient world. The, the rabbis used to say stuff like this as well. Um, they would say things like, uh, Rabbi Nathan said this. He said, if there is one in whom there are good works, who has studied much Torah, you know, the five books of Moses, to what may he be likened? To lime poured over stones. Ever heard of limestone? 
to lime poured over stones, even when any number of rains fall on it, they cannot push it out of place. But one in whom there are no good works, although he has studied much Torah, it's like lime poured over bricks. Even when a little rain falls on it, it softens immediately and is washed away. So, yeah, people who study the Word of God a lot, but there's no good deeds. They're not actually putting it into practice. You're not fooling God. And the storms of life are going to test each one of us. And we'll, the house is a metaphor for our life, obviously. What are we building? How are we building? Are we building on the rock? We actually, every good deed is like a brick that we're laying in the structure. We're trying to make a cathedral of our sanctification, if you will. Uh, for Christ to live in. And so th- this is a this is a big deal. This is all over the place. And so when people hear that, when they hear, well, the rabbi said stuff that's very similar to what Jesus said, they think, wow, well, maybe maybe Jesus isn't that special. Maybe he isn't that original. How, how come other people said stuff like this? That's He is. <laughs> he is. Nobody ever taught like Christ. Uh, it's all over the Gospels. Nobody ever spoke like Why didn't you arrest this guy? Because nobody ever talked like this guy. We were spellbound ourselves. We were listening to him. We couldn't, couldn't get enough. That's what the soldiers said who were sent to arrest him. But the thing is, Jesus is in total continuity with the tradition. And so, this, if, he was, if he was coming out of total left field, nobody would have thought he was the Messiah. He's very much in line with the teaching of the Old Covenant. Indeed, he fulfills the Old Covenant. So, this is really, really important for us to know. That salvation is not a pop quiz. Are we doing the teaching of Christ? Are we living it out? This is what it's all about. So, let's try to put it into practice a little bit more this Advent as we... Think more deeply about this. You know, Adventist, there is sort of an element of a penitential season in, in Advent. It's not really a full penitential season like Lent, but there's a little things like the Gloria is omitted during the liturgy, right? There's a little bit of a, you know, a more sober attitude as we're getting ready uh, for the coming of Christ. And so let's do it. Let's put his teaching into practice. And I got to tell you, somebody who definitely did do that, and it surprised the heck out of even him. You're not going to believe this story. You're not going to believe this story about St. Ambrose, which I'm going to tell you. You haven't heard it anywhere else, but you'll hear it on the K.O. Clark Show right after this break. 888-914-9149. Be right back. you keep your mind off traffic and on the more important things in life. It's Kale Clark on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome back to the program. So glad to have you with me. Let me give out that phone number again, 888-914-9149. So call in, got a question, comment, you can talk to me for free because our listener line is sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance, 888-914-9149. And we are cracking open another fresh... That's not even a sound effect, folks. That is real. Another fresh and effervescent segment of the Kale Clark Show. Hopefully it is. And I got to be telling a story about today's saint that I, I don't think you've heard before. Maybe you have, but I'd be shocked if you had. And don't forget, later in the program coming up, you're not going to want to miss the poignant, poignant story of the wounded tiger, the so-called wounded tiger, who was the lead Japanese bomber pilot on this day in 1941, the, the, the infamous... Pearl Harbor attack, uh, which changed the world forever. But he later came home to Jesus Christ. Uh, unbelievable story. You're not going to want to miss it. You're going to want to 
grab a box of tissues. There might not be, um, it might get a little dusty in here. Let's put it that way. It's, it's not to be missed. So that's coming up later. But of course, today is the feast day of St. Ambrose. And you know the story. I've talked about it before. You've talked about it before. How St. Ambrose, of course, was the Bishop of Milan. And of course, uh, there was St. Monica, her wayward son, St. Augustine. The three of them are all canonized saints. And uh, Ambrose, of course, helped Augustine into the Catholic Church. Really was a great spiritual friend and director to him. That's the story you know, but you might not know how Ambrose became bishop in the first place. It's unbelievable. It all started in the year 373 A.D., and it kind of ties in with yesterday's saint, St. Nicholas of Bari, who, of course, was a, also a bishop in the early church, uh, fought against the evil Arian heresy that tried to say that Jesus wasn't God, Arius, that arch-heretic who, who nearly destroyed the church. Well, in the year 373, the bishop of Milan, not Ambrose, but the guy who was before him, passed away. And this was actually a pretty dicey time for that city. It's, uh, Milan, of course, being a very, very important city at that time. The dead bishop's name was Oxentius. Oxentius. And he was actually appointed. Now, this kind of will offend our modern sensibilities of separating church and state, but that bishop was actually appointed by an emperor. Yeah, they had their hand in this stuff back then. And that emperor happened to be an Arian, okay? So he, he essentially, Arians didn't believe that Jesus was God. I, I'm, I'm cutting out a whole bunch of stuff, but I'm simplifying it here. That's the bottom line. Uh, that's why we have the Nicene Creed, which, which goes into so much detail about Jesus being God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. You know that. So this is all in response to the Arian controversy. Well, the Arian emperor at that time, who had appointed uh, Bishop Oxentius, um, that's that's kind of how that guy got his office. But now that he died, there was there was a real probability that there could be a riot in Milan because there were Orthodox Catholics, there were also a lot of Arians in that town as well, and they were all determined that, hey, our guy, whoever that may be, needs to be the next bishop. The Arians wanted an Arian, of course. The Catholics wanted a Catholic. And so Ambrose, at the time, he was kind of the governor of the city. He was kind of the mayor of Milan, if you will. He wasn't even a priest at this point. In fact, he wasn't even a Christian. I bet you didn't know this. So he's like, look, I've got to put a stop to this because there were just voices on either side. There was just a great tumult in the city. But Ambrose was known as a really fair guy. You know, he'd give you a fair deal. And um, he was a really, really popular governor in the city. And he had, he had actual designs on a political career. He, he, he wanted to go into politics. He kind of wanted to rise through the ranks of the Roman Empire. But that was never going to happen unless he was able to diffuse this really explosive situation in Milan. So he appears at the church. There's a huge crowd there. People are arguing. They've got their signs. It's just a, it's a mess. It's a mess. And so he, he got up on a soapbox, if you will, and he tried to calm the crowd. And, and, he, and he actually did a great job. He, he, was, he was trained in rhetoric, so he really was a smooth talker, knew how to give a speech. He was a politician, of course. And he just did a great job, kind of, okay, just kind of calming the tempers. And then all of a sudden, there was a kid, there was a child who was in the crowd, and this child cried, cried out, Ambrose for bishop. Ambrose for bishop. And the crowd is like, that's actually not a bad idea. And so they started chanting out, Ambrose, Ambrose, Ambrose. And he was like, 
no, 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 no. Guys, don't, don't get carried away. I do not want to do this. I have. I do not want to be the bishop. You've got the wrong guy. I, I got to get out of here. Look, I've got an appointment. Oh, it's, it's getting so late. I, I got to leave here. But nothing could dissuade the people. And in fact, this, this movement to make him the next bishop just kept building and building and building. In fact, he tried to run away. He tried to escape Milan, but it didn't work. He got caught. And actually, word got to the emperor, to the Roman emperor, and he knew about Ambrose. And he was like, I actually think this is a pretty good idea, too. I th- yeah, I, I, think, I think Ambrose should be the next bishop of Milan. And Ambrose was like, oh, no, no, I, I, I'm a politician, remember? I, I want to serve the emperor. I want to kind of move up in the ranks, maybe get to Rome one day, maybe be a senator one day. Who knows? Get some perks. Uh, but the, uh, the emperor got word back to Ambrose. Hey, listen, um, you're free to do whatever you want, but if you say no, if you don't want to be the next bishop of Milan, I'm not going to be very happy with you. So in other words, you're not going to have a political career anyways, because if you don't take this job, you're on the outs with me. You're not going to go nowhere in politics. It, so all the exit doors were closing on Ambrose. He was trapped. He was trapped. So he very um, reluctantly agreed to be the Bishop of Milan. But here's a problem. He's not even a Christian. Did he, did he believe? Yeah, but he was a catechumen at the time. He was actually kind of in the RCIA program. Can you believe this? He wasn't even baptized. How about that? You could be chosen Bishop without even being a Christian. Because if you're not baptized, you're, you're just a, you might believe in Jesus, but you're a catechumen. You're not actually a Christian until you're baptized. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit with water. Not not fine wine from Milan. Um, anyway, so uh, first order of business, he's got to be baptized, so they did that. And then, okay, well, uh, I, I've got to somehow become uh, a bishop, so first you've got to become a deacon. It's it's the, 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 the sort of the rites of holy orders, if you will. It's kind of like turning on the lamp, you know, the three notches, right? There's deacon, priest, and bishop. The fullness of holy orders, of course, being bishop. And so that happened in eight days. Can you believe it? I'm sure there's some bishops listening to the program right now. Some priests, some seminarians are working hard in their studies. Yeah, so Ambrose didn't have to do all that. He, he was able to get, go through the whole deal in eight days. He became a bishop. They just kind of put him on the super fast plan. And he was consecrated Bishop of Milan on December the 1st in the year 373 AD. And he did a great job. He was really smart. He was really, really smart. A keen mind. And so uh, one, one of, there was a priest who had taught him the faith. I don't know whether he was like the RCIA director at the parish or whatever, but there was a priest who kind of took him aside and, and helped him learn theology even more. So he had a lot of catching up to do. But within no time, he was one of the best theologians in the entire church. So that's grace building on nature right there. I mean, he had the mind for it. He had the gifts for it. And, and it's kind of interesting that that kid in the crowd it was the person who cried out, Ambrose for bishop. That kind of got the whole thing rolling. Thanks, kid. He was probably thinking at the time. And it was a child also. And of course, Ambrose being so instrumental in the, in the, in the reversion of St. Augustine, because of course, Augustine started off as a Catholic before he left as a teen, joined a cult, fathered a child out of wedlock, had a pretty wild time. But Augustine was in a garden, and he was kind of sitting in a garden, and he heard a child's voice saying, take up and read. It was maybe a kid playing in the yard next door. Take up and read. Take up and read. So that's how he picked up the scriptures, and that's how he encountered Christ, and that really started his journey back to the church. So in, in both cases, there was a child involved, 
And uh, God obviously used these kids, you know, out of the mouth of babes, right, um, to bring these guys to their rightful place in the church. Anyways, another quick story that you probably don't know about. Shortly after Ambrose became the bishop, uh, the Goths, and I'm not talking about, you know, kids that you knew in high school who wore dark makeup and black clothing and listened to goth punk bands. No, uh, uh, Visigoths. These, these guys are really bad. Uh, the Visigoths crossed over the border. Now, the, the government had actually let them cross the border, but they kind of betrayed everybody. They'd, they started a great rebellion, and um, all the refugees who were trying to run away from the Goths went to the city of Milan. And the Goths took a whole bunch of citizens captives. They're like, hey, we want you to pay us millions of dollars in ransom, you know, in today's dollars. And Ambrose is like, okay, we got we to gotta save these people. We got to free these people. They're going to kill them. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the, the chalices uh, from the cathedral. We're going to take um, the, the gold of the church, the, the riches of the church, if you will. And we're going to melt them down. And we're going to actually give them to the Goths. And so everyone completely freaked out. And the Arians, oh yeah, the evil Arians, they're like, aha, this is why, this is exactly why this guy never should have been made bishop. Because what's he doing? He's committing sacrilege. He's taking the riches of the church and he's giving them away to these criminals. He's, he's, he's using them as ransom money. This is awful. It, this guy should be kicked out. But Ambrose is like, uh-uh. Not the case. Here's what Ambrose said. He said, It's better to preserve for the Lord souls rather than gold. Because he who sent the apostles without gold, remember when Jesus sent them out, the 72? Take no money in your belt. Take no silver. Take no gold. Just eat what's put in front of you. Take the hospitality you're given. Ambrose said, The one who sent the apostles out without gold also gathered the churches without gold. The church has gold, not to store it, but to give it up to use it for those who are in need. It is better to keep the living vessels than the golden vessels. Wow. So yeah, the living vessels, of course, being the citizens uh, who were kidnapped, many of whom were Catholic, uh, living vessels of Christ. So now, obviously, you want to keep both if you can. Keep, keep, keep the chalices, of course, um, but people come first. We've got to save them. So that was, a, that was a situation that he had to deal with uh, after he became bishop. And so he was, he was very holy. He, he talked about, he wasn't perfect. He made some mistakes in his life for sure. But he talked about, um, if, hey, if you're a pastor, you tell the priests that your true strength is in supporting the weak against the strong. Invite, not the rich to your feast. They can, they'll always pay you back. But invite the poor. They, they can never repay you. And this is what Jesus recommended as well in the gospel. And so he became a very famous preacher. And of course, one guy who used to sit and listen to him was a young teacher, a young professor of rhetoric. And he himself had followed a long and winding road, a very torturous pilgrimage of faith. And he was so entranced by the words of Bishop Ambrose that he returned to the faith that was passed on by his mother. He had abandoned that many years before. And of course, his name was Augustine. And Augustine was eventually baptized by Ambrose. And, I mean, I don't think even Ambrose realized, and Ambrose is a doctor of the church too, incredible doctrine. I don't think he even realized the impact that St. Augustine would have on the church. Like I said, maybe the greatest since the Apostle Paul himself. And uh, Pope Benedict was a huge Augustinian guy, wrote his doctoral dissertation on St. Augustine. And, and of course, you know, there's always the battle, like, are you an Aquinas guy, an Augustine guy? (laughs) 
And uh, hey, we can have both in the Catholic Church. We've got it all. We've got it all. We've got all these great saints and doctors of the Church. One of them, of course, being the great St. Ambrose. And it's his feast day today. So St. Ambrose, Ora Pro Nobis. Pray for us. All right, let's go to the phones right now. 888-914-9149. Let's go to Douglas in Albuquerque. Doug, how are you doing? Thanks for calling in. Hey, you bet. Um, I apologize. Is you, what is your name? Are you Patrick? <laughs> uh, no. You know what? I'm not that illustrious. I, I'm, I'm Kale. Get, uh, Kale with a K? Uh, no, no, thankfully. Uh, you know, very, I, I'm very grateful for this. <laughs> My name is spelled with a C, C-A-L-E. But gotcha, it's becoming Kale. a problem now. And it's becoming a problem. No, not, it's okay. Yeah, I forgive I, you. I, I'm not... Um, I'm not, uh, I only listen and I love listening to your, your guys' radio show or your radio station when I drive and I just don't drive that much. Uh-huh, but uh-huh. Um, I'm kind of like Ambrose, believe it or not, what you just said. I yeah. mean, I'm, I'm what you would call a non-believer, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not a saint, I'm not a Catholic, and I'm, I'm not a modern Christian. I'm kind of a seeker after truth at this point. Mm. But I know what the Bible says, I've read it, and I know the words of Jesus, and um, you see, I, I quit working for money, and I now volunteer full-time to help others, okay? I mean, oh. and I'm, it's kind of like, I know that faith without works is dead, mm-hmm. and yep. the question is, are you feeding the hungry? Are you giving water to the thirsty, clothing the naked, taking in strangers, looking after the sick, visiting the prisoners, and so on? And it's like, my desire in life has always been that I, to a point that it's like I had to quit working, retire early and I live on a minimal amount of money. And that's what I do. I do that. And I don't do it because I'm honoring Christ or Christianity or the Bible. I do it because it's my heart desire to help people. And I'm telling you, the rewards are unbelievable. Mm. Yeah. I mean, well, Douglas, first of all, I commend you. That that's incredible. You you're obviously a person who who wants to serve others and in, in really practical ways. And and of course, yeah, the, these these good things that you're doing to to serve your neighbor are, are crucial. And you're right. And I know you've been reading your Bible, I can tell because you're you're kind of quoting it there. Faith without works is dead. But here's the other thing though, Doug, and I I'd uh I'd ask you to think about this. The other side of the coin is that works without faith is also dead. Just good deeds alone. That's not going to cut it either because the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. You see, there are lots of people who do good deeds out there and they're great. And, 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 and God takes those into account for sure. But, but without faith, it simply becomes mere activism. It simply becomes mere activism. And so you need both. You need, you need faith as well. I, I just, want you to think about that angle too what do you, how does that grab you it, it grabs me i certainly will and i will research that and talk to my i have some good christian friends and people that i talk to all the time and um i you know i guess I, i've just probably been um I mean, i'm not gonna say steered wrong but just mm-hmm. disheartened by the christian community for mm-hmm. the most part um so anyway it was uh, it was interesting that prior to my call or it would be prior for you uh, answering my call that you were mentioning Ambrose and that he kind of wasn't really a believer and then became one. It's kind of like, okay, well, and I'm, I, I truly am a seeker. I mean, I, I only seek the truth and 
I'm looking forward to that. And, um, but I'm glad you asked me the question and said that works without faith is also dead. So that's an interesting, however, it's not dead to the person that said, thank you to me. No, no, no. Their life. Oh, no question. No question. And, and th- those deeds are extremely important because that, that does come into play, of course. Um, and uh, I've been going through this series on, on the other program I host uh, on Relevant Radio called The Faith Explained on, on St. Paul's Letter to the Romans. I don't know if you've read it. I mean, it's, it's, it's challenging, but we're doing this series trying to explain it. And, and God certainly sees our deeds. He sees our motivation. He sees our heart for sure and our, our heart for people. Um, but I know you're a seeker of truth, Douglas, and I think that's, um, that's important because... Christ said, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened unto you. And he is talking about the truth. You're seeking the truth. He is the truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That's quite a statement. John chapter 14, verse 6. That's quite a statement. And uh, as C.S. Lewis, uh, the the great uh, convert to Christianity and writer said, well, he's either liar, lunatic, or he's the Lord. I mean, he's like the same, uh, the guy who says, I'm a poached egg, I mean, which is clearly someone who's out of his mind, or he's lying, he's not God and he knows it, he's not the way, the truth, and the life, and he knows that, he's just trying to deceive people, but that doesn't seem in character with his his teachings, with you read read his life, and he can't make this guy up. You'd have to be smarter than Christ to make up a character like Christ, it's impossible. You read his teaching, it's sublime, um, moral, true, good, out of this world, and then, of course, the other option is he, he really does mean it. And it's really true because he is the Lord. And he's given proof of that through his resurrection. So think about that. Just look into that. Talk to your friends for sure. Call back here anytime. Anytime. It's great to have you call in, Douglas. I'm really glad you called. I'm really glad you called. I'll pray for you. And uh, God bless you. Taking my call. I appreciate it, Gail. Yeah, You got it, Douglas. Take care, man. God bless you. That was Douglas in Albuquerque. Wow, great phone call. Great caller. Great caller. Thanks. And call back anytime, Douglas. And listen, be right back. we got to take a quick break right now on the K.O. Clark Show. But like I promised you, a story that is absolutely poignant about what happened on Pearl Harbor that day. Someone who had a hand in that destruction. And Christ got a hold of that person and changed his life forever. It's the K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio. 888-914-9149. Explaining the faith so you can explain it to others. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. So good to have you with me on the Kale Clark Show. And you can call in right now, 888-914-9149. Try to get your phone calls. Megan, I see you there. Megan and Austin. We always get some great calls from Austin. We'll try to get to you in just a moment, so hang tight. 888-914-9149. Well, of course, 82 years ago today, one of the darkest days in the history of the United States. It lives in infamy. More than 2,400 Americans were killed uh, in the in the snap invasion the surprise invasion and the bombing of pearl harbor on december the 7th 1941 and the villain who was behind that was a pilot named mitsuo fuchida mitsuo fuchida and he was actually handpicked this pilot he was a rising star in the japanese military 
He was handpicked by Admiral Yakamoto, and he led the attack on U.S. forces at Pearl Harbor. And what a, what a triumphant moment it was for him because he was indoctrinated with the samurai code, the samurai code of Japan. And maybe you've seen the last samurai movie with Tom Cruise. That's about the extent of my samurai knowledge. Cool movie, by the way. But it, it's just a, an absolutely brutal code of the samurai. It demands hatred, revenge upon one's enemies. And today, Fox News had an incredible piece about the life of this man, the life of this villain, Mitsuo Fuchida. After the war, he absolutely was transformed by Jesus Christ. But before we, we get to his story, uh, here's a clip. Uh, and you're going to be hearing the voice of Lieutenant Colonel William Benelli from the U.S. Air Force, who was there in Pearl Harbor that day uh, when the Japanese forces struck. Let's hear what he had to say about it. December 7, 41, as you well know, that uh, changed things quite a bit. That morning, we were on our way and approaching Wheeler Field, which is just a wee bit north of uh, Pearl Harbor itself and Hickam Field. Uh, I noticed three zeros overhead. I didn't know they were Japanese. I saw the red ball, and I said to my buddy, I said, wonder who those airplanes belong to. I've never seen them before. And, and I said, jokingly, at least I thought so. I said, you know, we might be at war. And about four or five minutes later, we sure were at war. And that's when the United States was drawn into World War II. And what's incredible is that and this is reported today by, by, by Fox News. T. Martin Bennett has written a book called Wounded Tiger. And it's all about the man who led that bombing raid on Pearl Harbor, Mitsuo Fuchida. Because after the war, he embraced a totally new identity. He left behind the warrior code of the samurai and embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. And including, included in that, of course, is to love one's enemies. Uh, it's an absolutely unbelievable story. After his conversion, uh, he traveled throughout the United States, Japan, and Europe preaching the gospel. It's unbelievable. And he actually met, part, a huge factor in his conversion was a soldier named Jacob DeShazer, who was an airman uh, on the raid. He was an American airman on the, in the raid on Tokyo that occurred in April of 1942. Jacob DeShazer was... I was put in prison, and he spent 40 months being tortured as a Japanese prisoner of war. But he somehow, during that period, got his hands on a Bible, and he also came to faith in Christ. And he actually began to try to treat with love the guards who were tormenting him. And, and, and it, actually, it actually worked, because by the end of his captivity, they were actually treating Jacob de Chaser as a brother. And, and they were actually very kind to him at the end of it. But uh, meanwhile, Mitsuo Fuchida was possessed with hatred for the United States, incredibly ambitious at the time, uh, rising through the ranks of the Japanese forces. And, and in fact, uh, the man who wrote the book, Wounded Tiger, T. Martin Bennett, he said that really Fuchida wanted to be a rock star in the Japanese military. And he got his chance on stage, as it were, on the morning of December the 7th, 1941, and he told his fellow airmen that just as, as they were about to launch their attack, they were on, on the deck of a Japanese aircraft carrier. 
He was telling his fellow airmen, our duty is to annihilate the enemies of Japan and to establish order for the future, the imperial way. And of course, the, the attack was a total surprise. It caught the U.S. Navy and the entire country by support, by, by uh, surprise rather. And it just changed the history of the world. In fact, more than 900 Americans are still entombed exactly where they died, within the hull of the USS Arizona. And of course, that the, the tragic images of that day, you've probably seen pictures of them, um, smoke billowing out of the USS Arizona, the horrors that were inflicted that day. And actually, it was Mitsuo Fuchida who sent back the celebration message of victory over the airwaves. He was still circling over the hell that his planes had unleashed on Pearl Harbor, and he was crying out, Torah, 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 which means tiger in Japanese, tiger, tiger, tiger. And in fact, there's a movie about this attack that came out in 1970 by that title, Torah, Torah, Torah. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it won an Oscar. And... Um, it's 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 a, tr a day of great tragedy and infamy and, and and suffering, but for this man, for Mitsuo Fuchida, um, he he his life began to change because just just a few months after that, of course, his own homeland lay in ruins uh, because of the atomic bombs that were dropped in Japan, and and in the past a couple of years ago, um, my friend Christopher Chuck was the president of Catholic Answers. I, I shared a, an article that he wrote about whether the United States should have dropped the atomic bombs. Um, was it moral? And he, he would argue, no. The answer to that question is no. That's another show for another day. But the, the destruction of his homeland started uh, Fuchida to question his own assumptions about his purpose in life. And uh, actually, the day before the bomb was dropped on Hiroshima, he was actually in the city. He was in a hotel. He left the day before, and the place was absolutely vaporized the next day. But then a spiritual miracle happened to him. He became friends with Jacob DeShazer, who was that prisoner of war in Japan. And, he, and after he was set free, he lived for, in Japan for decades after the war. And Fuchida was confused because when he met this guy and he heard his story, he just did not understand why you wouldn't hate your enemies and try to take revenge on them at your first opportunity and kill them. So he was very intrigued by why this guy would forgive his captors, his torturers. And he began to learn about the gospel of Jesus Christ and Later on, the two men actually traveled together, Mitsuo Fuchida, the Japanese pilot, and the American airman Jacob DeShazer. They actually traveled throughout the United States preaching the gospel together. What, what a sight that would have been. And so, he's still considered a hero in Japan, but of course, um, he would have considered his, his, his legacy to be uh, quite reprehensible after his conversion. And uh, he could have been a multimillionaire. He, he was one of the first people who actually ever met Emperor Hirohito in person. He could have had all kinds of fame and fortune had he not embraced Christianity. But instead, he actually lived in poverty, and he kept telling the world what Jesus had done for him, which was exactly this, to save him from a life of hatred. So, whew, what an incredible story on this day, uh, in which we remember the tragedy at Pearl Harbor. And the, the incredible mercy, forgiveness, the reach of God. No one is out of the reach of Jesus Christ. That's one thing we have to remember. And that's why we want to increase the reach of relevant radio all around the world. We want to reach the world for Christ through the media. As Father Rocky likes to say, we want to use mass media to bring the masses to the mass. Where they can encounter Christ above all in the Eucharist, the source and summit of our 
faith. And today being, of course, a Thursday, it's a great day to pray and to thank God for the gift of the Eucharist, to get to Eucharistic adoration if we can, to get to Mass if possible. And don't forget, by the way, tomorrow, big feast day. It's December the 8th tomorrow, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. And we'll be talking about that tomorrow, of course, on Relevant Radio. But don't forget, it is a holy day of obligation in the United States. So make your plans now to get to Mass. And you get to go to Mass. That's a good way to look at it. You don't have to go to Mass. You get to go to Mass to be with our Lord. Thanks for listening to the K.O. Clark Show today. Jim Shaper produced Miranda Sinisteros took your phone calls. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless you. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.